And so as you open up your, your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to go and read a few verses. And it says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Yeah, at your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet, meaning that he was crippled. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in the city of Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Verse 6 says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, and he prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear. And let's stop right there. And so we get to, to, to the place down here in the, in, the, in the history of the nation of Israel and really in, 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 the, life, in the life of David, right, where King David, where for years now he's been on the run, Right, he was serving under King Saul, and then King Saul pretty much uh, turned his back on him, and, and he made him his enemy. And David was forced to flee away and to live in caves as a nomad, as a as a pretty much as an outlaw. Right, we're told that about four hundred men gathered to him while David was on the run, and he became the leader of the motley crew of just a bunch of knuckleheaded outlaw uh, outlaw guys, and they would just follow him all, all around. Those guys became David's army, and so David's now been in power. He's been uh, he's been king over. Over the nation of Israel now for uh, for some for some time, and so at this point in their history, King Saul and his three sons have already been killed in battle. We're told that King Saul had had three sons. One of them, uh, his name is Jonathan, and Jonathan and David were really close friends. And when they died, we're told that there was a small revolt that lasted about two years. Saul had a, a commander in his army by the name of Abner. And Abner hated David also. And, and when Saul died, Abner took it upon himself and he saw his opportunity to, to come into power. And so he sought out for another one of King Saul's sons, who is a man by the name of Ishbosheth, who he's only mentioned one time in the Bible or, or, or one section. So it, it, the Bible tells us that, that Saul died in battle with three of his sons. But nowhere else do we hear about Ishbosheth, meaning that Ishbosheth was probably a son of maybe one of the Saul's concubines. Or he was uh, what's considered an illegitimate son. And so the commander of Saul's army, when Saul died, this guy Abner, he, he saw his opportunity right, to come into power. And he sought out for this. Really, he's a, he was a weak man, Ishbosheth, And he convinced them to revolt against David. Right? And Abner was going to be pretty much you know, the one behind the scenes. And Ishbosheth was just going to be the puppet. He was going to be the face. Right? He was a descendant of Saul, so illegally he could take the throne. But Abner was going to reign you know, and, 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 and give him all the commands in his ear from behind the scenes. And so we're told that, that, uh, that Abner and Ishbosheth that they, 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 they were successful in this revolt and that the northern kingdom of Israel and all the tribes with, with the exception of the tribe of Judah uh, went under the command of Ishbosheth. Now there was a small revolt for about two years until finally Ishbosheth died and then eventually King David became king and he unified all the tribes and he was king over all of uh, unified Israel. And so we're told now that David, as he's king now, he's had some years of prosperity. Man, God has been blessing him by this point, right? A few chapters back, 
Now uh, we could read about King David's heart, and it was in his heart once he had established his kingdom. When God, had, once God had prospered him, they were rich beyond like uh, uh, beyond what they had known at that time. We're told that he had peace on all sides. He had defeated all his enemies on all sides, and then we're told that 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 it was in David's heart to build God a house. As he was just looking around his kingdom and looking around his territory and saying, man, God has just blessed me so much. He says, man, what can I do now? Man, I'm going to bless God. He says, I'm here dwelling in my own house while in my huge palace while, 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 the, while the spirit of God is dwelling in his little uh, uh, rag shack tent. And so we, he, it was in his heart to build God a home, to build a, 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 a temple for God. Right? He brought me before the prophet Nathan. Nathan said, yeah, that's a great idea. Do it. Then later on, God spoke to Nathan and said, hey, man, you spoke out of turn. You know, I don't want David to build me a house. God spoke to David through the prophet Nathan and told him, you know, you're not going to build me a house because you're, you're a man of war. Man, your hands are too bloody. Says, but your son Solomon is going to build you a house. But more than that, because it was in your heart to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house, David. God told, God told David, I'm going to build you an everlasting house. Right? And, and, and there's never going to cease to be a son of David on the throne, right? which was a prophecy about the Messiah. And so this is all to say that, man, this is a prosperous time for David. You know, God has been blessing him. He's got peace on all sides. Most of his enemies are, are defeated at this point. They've, they're gaining territory. I mean, I mean, the nation is just prospering. And it's awesome that at this time of, of prosperity, you know, it was when David said, man, I want to show kindness. Right? I want to seek God and I want to show kindness for God's sake. He says, I want to show the kindness of God. And I, and I love that about the heart of David, man, because that's who David was, right? He was a messed up dude. He, he did a lot of bad things, but also, you know, his heart was just, he had a repentant heart. Yeah, and, and he had a repentant heart towards the Lord. And we see that even in his time of prosperity, you know, he wanted to seek God. And he wanted to show the kindness of God. Most of us, you know, turn to God or turn to like good acts when we're like in the gutter. Like, All right, man, I don't know, I got to do something for God because I feel like everything is going down the drain. And maybe it's because I'm not doing something for God. Right? And a lot of us see that as a sign of like, all right, maybe I should be doing something for God so that God could bless me. And we start doing kind acts for other people. We start doing charity work. So we think, and we think that, that because we're doing this, it's going to kind of kickstart God's blessing on our, on our life. And yet David, while he had the most prosperity in the kingdom of Israel, he said, you know what? I want to show the kindness of God. And specifically, he was looking for a son of Saul. Now, Saul, again, he had, he had been of the previous dynasty. Now, we're told that the Lord ripped away the kingdom from Saul because uh, he, he, he neglected God from ruling over his heart. And so God says, I'm going to reject you from ruling over my people. Right? And so the typical, uh, the typical way things were done back then, and, and really not, not just in Israel, but, but in, in all of our, 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 our older world history, is that when one dynasty would pass, the new dynasty, they would kill every single descendant of the previous dynasty so that there wouldn't be a chance of any revolt, which there was with Ishbosheth, right? And so that was a typical custom of the day back then. And so David said, man, is there anyone of the house of Saul so that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake, right? Now, turn to First Samuel chapter 20 with me. And, and, and we, we get a little insight. It's not that David just one day said, you know what, I want to just find someone to bless from the house of, uh, of Saul, from the house, from the house of Jonathan. Right? Jonathan was, was, was Saul's son. And first Simon tells us that, that Jonathan and Saul were, I mean, that Jonathan and David were like best friends. Right? Saul wanted to kill David. He hated David. He sought for his life. And yet Jonathan being supposed, supposed to be the next one to inherit the throne, he recognized God's calling on David's life. 
and honoring his dads. And, 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 and Jonathan, being a faithful friend, he recognized God's calling on David's life and he put himself to the side and he told David, look, David, I know that God has given you the kingdom and, so, and I'm not going to get in the way of that. And, she, and he says, and more than that, I'm going to protect you when my dad tries to kill you. And, and 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 11, we, we have a, this, the, an account here of, of this covenant that was made between Jonathan and David. While David was on the run at the time, he was on the run. Saul was persecuting him. He was trying to kill him, right? And yet Jonathan was going out there and he was giving David the heads up. And so it says this in verse 11. It says, And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have, when I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to, to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Right? And, so, and so Jonathan is going out there. He's, he's, uh, he's meeting David while, while David is in the caves. He knows that David's on the run. He knows that his dad wants to kill David. He says, look, David, I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to talk to my dad. If he's okay, then I'm going to sound the alarm so you can know hey, all right, it's, it's, everything's okay. You can come back. But if I talk to him and, and I see that he's gonna, he, that he still wants to kill you, then I'm going to let you know so you won't come back, right? So your life won't be in danger. And he says this in verse 14. He says, And you shall not only show, show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but, verse 15, you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And then we're told that Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemy. And so some 20 years back before David actually becomes king, we're told that him and Jonathan are out there in the field, right? And, and him and David, uh, they make this covenant. And Jonathan tells him, look, David, I know that God has his hand on you. I know that you're going to become king of Israel. And when you do promise me that you're going to continue to show kindness upon my descendant, upon my house. Right? Again, David's right, and the normal custom of the rest of the world was to kill off every single descendant of the previous dynasty. And so if David wanted to, he could have killed every single one of, one of uh, Saul's descendants, including Jonathan's kids as well. Right? Anybody who had any, any uh, uh, blood ties to Saul, but he didn't. He didn't. And so instead, he's looking for, for Jonathan's son so he can bless him. And again, back in 2 Simon 2, uh, 9.2 says, And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now, you could just imagine probably the terror that fell upon Ziba at that moment, knowing, Oh man, he knows I used to work for Saul. He knows I used to be a servant of Saul, and, and now I'm being summoned into the king's courts, right? What's he going to want? So he was probably terrified. You can't read it in the text, but he was probably terrified to, to know that, man, David wants to talk to me, right? He knows who I am. He wants to talk to me. And when he hears David's words again, he doesn't know David's intention, but he hears David's words, and he, and, and, and he says, hey, is there anyone of the house of Saul, right? So let me show him the kindness of God. And notice what Ziba says again. He says, yeah. He says, there's still one more, right? He says, but... Uh, he says uh, he's lame in his feet, right? There's a still son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. It's as if Ziba was saying, man, but look, he's no threat to you, David. 
There's still one more son, but you don't want to mess with him. He's, he's no threat to you. He's not gonna, you don't have to worry about him coming back against you. You don't have to worry about him starting a revolt. You don't have to worry about him you know, uh, starting this rebellion against you. He's lame in his feet. Because you could just imagine, Ziba's already thinking, man, David's going to kill him. You know, he knows where I'm at. I can't lie to him. He's a king. He's, if he finds him, he's going to kill him. Right? Ziba doesn't know if, if, if David is being truthful here when he says, I want to show him the kindness of God. He just He's going off of what David's saying. And he's saying, yeah, there's still one more son, but he's lame in his feet. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 4 actually gives us the, uh, the reason why, why this son was, was lame in his feet. And it gives us also the account of the murder of, of the murder of Ishbosheth. And so we'll just read it for context, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, 2 Samuel says, When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana, and the other was Rechab, the sons of Rimon, the, the Berthothite, the children of Benjamin. He says, because, it says in verse 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame and his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as he made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Notice, and it happened as she made haste up to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And so we're told that, that, when, that when Saul and his three sons, including Jonathan, the, the, the dad of Mephibosheth were killed in battle. Man, again, the custom of the time was what? That all the descendants of that king, or the previous king, were going to die. Were going to be killed. And so uh, Mephibosheth's nurse, knowing that, she wanted to protect his life. And so she picked him up. We're told that he was five years old. And she carried him. And as they were, as they were fleeing for their lives, we're told that she dropped him. Right? He falls and, I, and he becomes lame in his feet. We don't know if it was a spinal injury. We don't know if maybe he broke his ankles. He couldn't get treatment in time because they were on the run. They couldn't go to the doctor or anything. But for whatever reason or, or however it may, have, it may have happened, they were on the run, right? The kid falls or she drops him and all of a sudden he becomes crippled for the rest of his life. Now think about, about Mephibosheth and think about the life that he would have lived, right? Uh, similar to the New Testament, you know, we see in the New Testament that Jesus, he healed many who were lame, many who were crippled. Right? And, and for the most part, when, when Jesus encounters these people who are crippled in the New Testament, they're either begging or they're just uh, poor. Right? They're, they're impoverished. They're begging. They're kind of at the mercy of, uh, of, of other people because right? they can't do anything. I mean, they can't do anything for themselves. They can't go out there and work. They, can't, they, they, they were dependent on someone else for their sustenance. Right? And it's no different in the Old Testament. And so you could just imagine the life of Mephibosheth. One day, man, he's uh, part of the royal lineage. One day, man, he's living in a palace. He's got everything. You know, he's a, just a little kid, five years old, right? He's got food when he, when he needs food. He's got a, a babysitter, right? He's got a nurse. He's got all these things. He's got a mighty dad, you know, a great dad, Jonathan, who's out there doing battle. And, and then from one day to another, man, he's naming his feet. Uh, he's got no dad. He's got no parents. He's got no family because all his family, you know, is killed in battle. And his uncles and, and everyone else, he has to flee for his life with his nurse, and from one day to another, his whole life changes. How old is he when he comes back? So that was about uh, some like 10 years later. So, so Mephibosheth right now is, is around like 21 years old when, when, when David calls, to, calls for him. And so here's Mephibosheth again. His life just changed. Like in a moment, his life just changed. Right? And for the rest of his life, you know, he was going to be at the mercy of, of other people. Notice that it says 
And back in 2 Samuel chapter 9, that we're told that when Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And verse 4 says, so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. So notice that he was, this tells us that he was poor because he was living in someone else's house. He didn't even have his own house. Ziba didn't say, oh, he lives over here. He's got his own house uh, over here you know, with the big yard and uh, or he's renting a little you know, one-bedroom apartment or a studio apartment over here. No, he says he's living in this person's house. So someone took, took him in, you know, probably knowing who he was, right? They took him in and, and, and they cared for him or they at least let him, let him stay in his house. And that was his life, you know, that he was just at the mercy of someone else. And you could just, again, imagine his life that he was just depending on someone else to survive. He was depending on someone else, you know, for his sustenance. He was depending on someone else uh, just to live. Right, from one day to another. And so we're told that he, he's dwelling in the house of Amiel in the city of Lodabar. Now, interesting that that word, Lodabar, uh, the, the name of that city, it actually means uh, the city of no pastures or no green pastures, meaning that there was a famine, right? And there was no green pastures, meaning that there was nowhere for the flocks to feed. It's dirt, right? It's a dirt lot. That's what it is. There's, uh, it, there's no pastures. Right? And, and, and that was definitive, Lodibar. And that was definitive of, of the life of Mephibosheth, the life that, that he lived. There was no sustenance, right? There was a lack of provisions. It was just impoverished, right? There was no pastures. There was no greenery, right? There's, there's nothing for him to eat. It's just, it was, a, it was a, humble, a humble place. And so we're told, again, uh, it says, And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then, the king David, then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Man, you could just imagine, you know, Mephibosheth. He has no choice. I'm, I'm guessing David probably sent his, his officers, maybe sent some commanders over there to, 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 to bring him to him. And they literally had to bring him to him because he couldn't walk. So they probably carried him all the way from Lodabar to the king's court. And I don't know if they explained anything to him. I don't know if they just said, hey, man, King David wants to see you. But for Mephibosheth, he would have known, oh man, that's it, man, my life is over, it's done. He's found me. You know, uh, I know what awaits me, right? He has no idea of, of, of the covenant that, that, uh, that his dad, Jonathan, had made with David previously, some 20 years previous. Right? All he knows is, man, I'm of the descendant of Jonathan, right? I'm of, the, of a, a descendant of Saul, of the previous dynasty. All of a sudden, uh, the new king, King David, has summoned me to his court. I'm nobody. So he's probably thinking, man, that's it. My life is over. I'm done. He can't even run away if he wanted to. He can't even walk. And so you go, they go and they bring him to, to David. And it says, again, verse 5, it says, Then David sent out. He brought him out of the house of Machir from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, we, he fell on his face and he postured himself. Right? Again, in fear. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And you could just imagine with all the fear and terror and probably, you know, just a, a, a anxiousness and nerves. And he said, yeah, that's me. He says, Mephibosheth? He says, he says, here is your servant. He says, man, David, I'm at your mercy. I'm at your mercy. Whatever you want, I'm at your mercy. And David said to him, hey, man, don't fear. Don't fear. He was fearful for his own life. And David said, don't fear. It says, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And you will 
and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. And we see the grace of God. And in this, David becomes a type of Christ. And Mephibosheth becomes a type of, of, of us, the church. Notice that Mephibosheth was fearful. Right? He's been summoned by the king. All his life he's been living away in Lodabar, hiding from the king. Because he thinks that, man, he doesn't know anything about David. But I think, man, he knows where I'm at. He knows who I am. He's going to want to kill me. Fearful of the king. Hiding out. Living this uh, place, in this place of no pastors. Right? Impoverished. It's a miserable life. Far from the king. Far from the kingdom. Wanting nothing to do with him because he knows, man, I'll probably be in danger. Uh, who knows what he'll do to me. And again, in that we see a type of the church. And when we see a type of, you know, of our condition, our spiritual condition before coming to Christ. Because a lot of us, when we, before we come to Christ, it's like we make ourselves enemies of God. Right? And we think, man, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I can't come near God because, I'm, because of the condition I'm in. If he knows who I was, if he, knows, he knew what I did, right, there's no way I could, I could even come near him. And we live in this, like, kind of uh, uh, terror of God, right? We, don't, we, we do everything we can to stay away from God. And to keep God away from our life because we think He's never gonna, you know, He's never gonna make peace with me because of the lives that we live. And again, David becomes this type of Christ, where he just extends mercy to Mephibosheth. He extends kindness to Mephibosheth. And notice what he tells him again. He says, "Hey, don't fear." He says, "For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I'm gonna restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather." And you shall eat bread at my table continually. That's a, that was like the highest honor for anybody. To eat at the king's table is like he's pretty much making him a, his own son. Right? The only ones who would eat at the king's table were the king and his immediate family. His sons, his wife, right? nobody else. Even the servants of the home, they had their own quarters. But David says, no, he says, you're gonna, I'm going to restore to you everything that belonged to your grandfather. And not only that, but you're going to eat at my table. Again, indicating this, uh, this close fellowship, this, this close uh, communion, this close uh, companionship. And so here's Mephibosheth, man. From one day to another, he lost everything. Living in poverty, living in uh, this, this miserable life. And then one day everything changes. And he has all this land. Now he's, now he's got all this land, all the land that, that belonged to Saul and to Jonathan. And not only that, but now he's, he's going to be eating at the same table as King David, as the king of Israel. Right? The Bible describes uh, King David as, well, David was pretty much the best, the greatest king that Israel ever had. And here's Mephibosheth. Now he gets to sit at the table with, with David every single day, every single night, and have a meal with them. Hey, Mephibosheth, how was your day? What did you do today? How are you feeling? What's on your mind? Hey, King David, how are you? How, how to go out in battle today? Uh, what's on your mind? What's going on? Man, they had this close fellowship. Right? And it's cool because... When we look at our, our relationship with Christ, that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible describes in uh, the book of Revelation what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it tells us that when we're all in heaven, we're all going to be seated with the Lord. right? And we're going to all join in this, in this marriage supper of the Lamb to celebrate uh, Jesus' triumphant victory over sin and death once and for all. Now, that's a twofold prophecy. It's going to be an, an actual thing that's going to happen. But also, it speaks about this just everlasting fellowship that we're going to have 
with the Lord for all of eternity. Right? Whenever the Bible speaks of, of sharing a meal right, for, the, for, the, for the Jews, in their culture, it was something very intimate to, to share a meal with somebody. You're becoming one with that person. And when the Bible says that uh, we're going to be seated in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's not just this one-time event. And you could just imagine, I mean, man, it's not that we're going to have just sit at the table with Jesus one time and have supper and then enjoy the rest of eternity. I'd be like, man, I can't even see Jesus, right? The super long table and, and all of us are in heaven. Every single person who's ever saved, I'll probably be at the very end. I'm like, hey, Jesus, that's not it. Right? So the Bible, when it says that it, it's an actual supper, but actually it's talking about this eternal fellowship that we're all going to have with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, up in heaven, right? This marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's so interesting that, again, as David calls from Mephibosheth, he says, look, man, I'm going to restore to you. What, you previous, what, what, what was your grandfather's? So I'm going to give you this. I'm going to bless you. And you're going to eat at my table continually. You're going to be like one of my kids. Man. You're going to be like one of my sons. And we're going to have this intimate fellowship. Man, amazing for Mephibosheth. He goes from not even knowing the king, hiding from the king, uh, fearful of the king, to now being embraced by the king, right? eating at his table. And so we're told this in verse 8, it says, Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant? Notice his reaction. He says, What is your servant? That you should look upon such a dead dog as I. Notice. That was his response. When he heard about what King David wanted to, to do to him, I extend his mercy, bless him, he at his table. That was his response. What is your servant? Again, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. Right. Man, he had probably been mistreated by the whole world. Probably taken advantage of. Man, he can't walk, right? I got to just depend on you. Whatever you want to do, man, I'll do it. Whatever you want to give me, I'll take it. Just depending on the whole world, depending on everyone else. Probably looked down upon by everyone else. Probably mistreated, probably scorned, probably mocked by everyone else. So he refers to himself as just this dead dog. He says, man, I'm just a dead dog. I'm no use, I'm no use to you, King David. I can't go out and do battle with you. I can't really serve you because I can't even walk. I can't give you anything because I'm poor. He says, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And verse 9 says, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. Notice. And you shall bring him Bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Man, again, he goes from having nothing to all of a sudden, man, the king blesses him. Not only does he restore to him the land of his grandfather, but they tell him, you're going to eat at my table, you're going to be in my home, and I'm going to give you all this land, and I'm going to give you workers so they can work the land for you. All you have to do is just, man, just enjoy Right, the workers are going to go work it and they're going to bring you in the harvest and you're just going to enjoy it. You're going to have food to eat. You're going to have plenty. Going from a place of low debar of uh, no pastors to all of a sudden, man, you're feasting at the king's table. He says, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, verse 11, according to all that my lord of the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's Sons. Man, amazing. Amazing. Verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. 
So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Notice that. He ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. It didn't change his condition, right? but it changed the way he lived. And for us as well, man, as we come to the Lord, man, we're still in this sinful body, and we're still going to continue to mess up. We're still in our, you know, we're still, you know, quote unquote, like lame in our feet. We're still going to continue to mess up. Why? Because for as long as we're in these human bodies, we're, for as long as we're in this body of flesh, we're going to continue to fall short, and, and we're going to continue to mess up, and we're going to continue to disappoint the Lord. We're going to continue to sin. We're going to continue to, uh, man, not live up, right, to, to the expectation. But regardless of that, man, the Lord still calls us sons. The Lord still calls us, invites us into to, to his table. The Lord still blesses us. Right? The, and the Lord still calls us, again, as one of his own. Just like King David did to Mephibosheth. And you could just imagine Mephibosheth, for the rest of his life, he was going to be this portrait of grace walking around the kingdom. This portrait of grace walking around the king's house. Everyone would see him limping around or dragging himself around or... I don't know if he had a little wheelbarrow or something. But if as long as everyone saw him just roam around the kingdom, man, he was forever going to be a portrait of God's grace extended. Really David's grace and David's mercy, but, but really a picture of God's grace and mercy and kindness extended to the sinner. Right. You could just imagine Mephibosheth. We're told that he was still lame in both his feet. But when he was sitting at the table, hey man, you couldn't even see his feet. And that's what happens when we come to the Lord, right? We come to the Lord, and as we're just enjoying fellowship with Him, as we're, as we're just eating with Him at the table, right, enjoying His blessings, enjoying uh, sonship, you know, be, being sons, being daughters, enjoying just this relationship with God. It's like, man, all this stuff, you don't even see it, right? And, and that's what the Lord does, right? He doesn't see our sin anymore. When He calls him to himself, when he calls us to Himself, the Bible tells us that He doesn't see us for what we've done. He doesn't see us for our mess up. He doesn't see us for our screw-ups. But, you know, he just sees for the righteousness of his son. And that was Mephibosheth, right? Eating at the king's table, but the king never saw his lame feet ever again, right? Because they were under the table. And again, just this beautiful picture, this beautiful portrait of, uh, of the relationship of the believer to the Lord, right? And just the blessings that, 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 that God has blessed us with right? as we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Cool. I don't know if it's a short study, you know, but uh, it's jam-packed full of... So, Father, I want to just thank you, Lord, for uh, that awesome love that you have for us, Father.